This is Superfood Sundays, a plant-based podcast with Chef Lynette. I don't know a lot about football, to be honest, but one thing that I do know is that I totally called an audible. <laughs> well done. For those that don't know what an audible is, let's get the football stuff out of the way. What is an audible? It's when you change the play at the line of scrimmage last minute. So you, you break the huddle with a specific play in mind, and then based on how the defense lines up, you pivot to a different play. It all happens within you know 10 or 20 seconds uh, before the play clock runs out. So last minute, <laughs> go in a different direction. Exactly. Last minute thing. Chris and his folks at Life Fuel reached out uh, not too long ago about chatting on Super Super Superfood Sundays. I was going to say Super Bowl Sundays, <laughs> but we... Super Bowl Superfood Sunday. Exactly. So they reached out. And I switched some things around so that we could just really make it more of a thematic Sunday here on Superfood Super Bowl Sunday. So we've got Chris here and we are just going to continue to talk about food, wellness, how it all came about and what's on your plate. Let's start with that. What's on your plate now? What was on your plate earlier? Or what do you plan on having on your plate a little later on today? What you got? Well, there's always a, a lot on my plate, I guess, metaphorically speaking. But today, food is based. I made some hummus this morning, and we are in the process of creating some snacks and some different stuff for the game. Just put a, a, a vegan, gluten-free cornbread that just came out of the oven. I'm going to mix that up with some like bean chili type thing. And yeah, we should be rocking. So we've got a whole spread going. Oh, man. Gluten-free cornbread. How does that go? I act like I don't know. Yeah, so you just, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You use like the aqua bean. So because I made the, the hummus earlier, I used the, the aquafaba from the chickpea water. And then you just use the, you know, corn, corn flour, gluten-free baking flour, and yeah, a couple other ingredients, pretty minimal. I added some like fresh corn in there too. But yeah, pretty simple, All surprisingly. Right. All right. So that's your first recipe. We're going to go through a lot of different things today, but that just just to wet your palate a little bit, that's a really great um, recipe and method for doing a cornbread. So you're from California. What were some of your early food influences? I know a lot of times, obviously, because you went to play professional sports and the idea of plant-based and veganism is definitely not at the top of the list per se. I think it's getting better and better. But what were some of those things growing up that really ended up indicating to you at this point now that you would have ended up in this place of health and wellness that said, hey, all right, this is actually what ended up happening? Yeah, I think as a kid, um, it was challenging because for football, you're always, um, at least for me, I was always trying to put on weight. And being a football player, there was you know a lot of masculinity around animal-based foods and eating a bunch of protein and whey protein shakes, and chicken and beef and all that stuff. And so I kind of went through a roller coaster of trying to different diets. At one point, I had to lose weight when I was a little kid playing junior All-American football because there's weight limits at each age group. And I think I had to do like the cabbage soup diet at the time. And it was absolutely miserable. But <laughs> that was, that was kind of like my early introduction with, with food. But I think it was really much later in life, definitely as a professional athlete and collegiate athlete, but then having the opportunity to live abroad in Italy that changed my perception of food and really allowed me to take a more vested interest and, and think about, okay, what am I putting on my plate? What am I putting in my body? How is that impacting performance and longevity and just how I want to look and feel? And so it's you know definitely been a lifelong journey and I've, I've been influenced in a myriad of, of different ways along that, that path. But yeah, those are the early days that I can remember. And, you know, my mom and my parents would always cook and being from a big Italian family, like there's always a, a lot of food on the table. And so it was more about, you know, trying to consume a lot of calories and it didn't matter so much where it came from at the time because I was working out so hard and everything. So just eating a ton of, of food. But much later, I became uh, a lot more focused on the quality and the sourcing. Okay, so Italy was like your aha moment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm actually in Italy now. Oh, wow. Okay. Sardinia. Yeah. This is a uh, hell of an audible like, then. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, International yeah, Audible, let's go. 7 p.m. Yeah. So I'm, I'm over in Sardinia now, which is one of the world's blue zones. That's pretty incredible. Known for having more percentage of centenarians than most other parts of the world. And it's just been pretty enlightening to just see a lot of the ways that they source food and produce food and all that. But it was the first time I was living abroad in Italy. I was actually playing football in Bologna at the time, post-NFL career, just kind of trying to figure out what the next steps look like for me. And it was really during that time where I saw this slower pace of life and a more mindful approach to, to eating and food. And then also when I would go out and shop, like a lot of the produce and the stuff I would buy would perish within you know, a few days. Um, whereas in the U.S., it seems like you buy veggies and it lasts two months, right? So it's like, what's going on in our food system in the U.S. that, you know, it's, it's seems so different than my experience in Italy. And you have like the old ladies going to the market pretty much on a daily basis just to prepare the lunch, which is typically like the biggest meal of the day during the week. And then the weekends are all centered around bringing the family together around the table and the really social aspect of food. And so that was really cool to see and really amazing to experience and really try to kind of retain a lot of that because I think food is so centric to, to bringing us all together. And I think everybody's relationship with food is largely influenced by how they grew up and, you know, the recipes that their, their mom or the grandmother make or the dad made or whatever. And so, yeah, it was just a, a really Cool experience, and, and obviously, um, I'm back here now, so <laughs> can't get enough of it. But yeah, I'd say the being in Italy was certainly the aha moment for me. Yeah, definitely. I had an aha moment there for sure the first time I went to Italy as well, because you're right. You think about just all the pasta and the bread. And for me, the biggest effect that I had was actually the coffee because there you're having a lunch and it's like 10 of us in the middle of the day and we're drinking wine and coffee and I'm not a coffee drinker. And when I tell you that day I took the train up to Switzerland and my teeth are just chattering. It wasn't even the food that got me. It was literally the strength of the coffee that got me. It's so much a part of you know, their culture that I find really exciting because all of that is happening on more of an extended time that we give ourselves here in the United States where, you know, everything is drive through and very, very fast. So you just live differently. And I think that that also has to do with your state of mind and how all of that kind of plays into just your day-to-day -day life. Did you find yourself kind of slowing down more, not only the food, but just the pace as well? Yeah, absolutely. And depending on where you are in Italy, you're kind of forced into it, right? Because they still have siesta, right? So between, I think it's like two and six or some sometime in the afternoon there, you know, a lot of the things are, are shut down. So everybody's kind of going home to be with the family, have lunch. And like you said, right, you're not eating from your car in the rush to work. So it's definitely a slower pace of, of life. A good analogy is like their form of drive-through is walking through to the cafe, having a coffee, and it's not a two-gallon Starbucks, right? It's just, you know, a quick espresso that you're having at the bar and, and then having a chat, and then you go on to the rest of your day. So it's definitely a slower-paced life, and it's more, I think, balanced in that regard. And yeah, it's, it definitely takes getting used to coming from obviously American culture where it's just like 24 seven, go, go, go on demand. But like once you finally settle in and embrace it, it's just so refreshing and it helps to de-stress and I really enjoy it in, in Europe in general. And, you know, I find myself walking so much more because of the way European cities are, are generally designed. So integrated into the cities, you're just walking constantly. And so I think that helps balance things out too. Whereas, you know, in the States, we typically are a bit more sedentary, right? We go from, you know, one box to another, from home to car, to work, and back in the car to the gym, you know? So I, I walk way less when I'm back stateside than I do over in Europe. How was the transition when it comes to plant-based, because obviously it's Italy, it's cheese, it's cream, it's butter, it's it's all of these different things. So how have you been able to navigate that, not only with 
the selections that you find in the grocery stores, but then also just navigating that, finding restaurants. And plant-based is obviously trending and rising all over the world, but then when you start to get to these places that are really steeped in food culture, people don't really necessarily want to budge. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Italy, I mean, they they do eat a ton of vegetables. Yes, I mean, they've got plenty of cheese and everything. And I guess my transition or my personal journey has not been, okay, I'm going 100% like vegan tomorrow. Like for me, that's not enough, right? You really need to be more mindful about where uh, your food is coming from to start. So trying to get more back to a localized way of eating because there's so many plant-based foods that are, you know, <laughs> Franken foods, they're, they're engineering or lab. They're not even close to being healthy. So you'd be way better off eating something let's say non-vegan, that's going to be more healthy than you would just eating something because it checks the box of being plant-based. So that's really the first thing for me is try to eat local as much as possible. And then what makes it tricky too is my wife is gluten-free, right? So when you're (laughs) throw everything out the window, gluten-free, vegan, you know, plant-based, it makes it super, super challenging, but you have to cook for yourself, right? Like, so that's something we enjoy doing. We cook a ton on our own. And then when we do go out for a restaurant, we're mindful about where we're going. So it's not this, oh my gosh, I'm hungry. I need to go somewhere and eat right now. It's changing the psychology and the approach to food. And, you know, this kind of dovetails into our concept of life fuel is it's food is fuel for your body. And you need to take control over that, take charge over it and not let food define everything about your life. And so I think when you are more mindful about all those things and you're more in control, then you're more empowered to be more selective about where you're going to go eat and what you're going to go eat when you do. So Life Fuel, yes, that's a perfect segue into your company, Essential Plant-Based Nutrition Simplified. The first thing that I think when I think about Life Fuel, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh, wow, okay, we are totally going to go in the opposite direction of what whey protein shake is. So tell us how you came up with life. What need were you serving? Usually it's something for yourself. That's what I'm thinking. (laughs) But yeah, how was life born? How was life brought into life? You're spot on. So it's twofold. So there was my personal journey just with health and as an athlete trying to look, feel and perform my best. And as an athlete, Anybody that's, you know, done that before, you are time crunch and you are trying to constantly increase caloric load and balance that with training thresholds and and all that. And for me, trying to bulk up to be 240 plus pounds playing the NFL as a a fullback, that was a full-time job in and of itself. And so oftentimes you're looking for more efficient fuel systems. That's why, you know, you know, post-workout weight, protein shake or whatever, or, you know, protein shake here and there between meals, you know, it's so common with, with athletes. But what I found is that, you know, my, my gut was a mess after I would drink one. I was more lethargic and just had, I guess, more inflammation going on throughout my body based off that high consumption of dairy and other animal proteins. And so I was on this personal journey post-football where I wasn't necessarily the happiest with my physique and, and body image, and I didn't need to be 240 plus pounds anymore. So I wanted to get more lean, a bit more shredded, and just kind of lose some of that excess weight that I accumulated during playing playing football. And at the same time, I was kind of on this you know, journey into the unknown of, okay, well, should I just play football for the past 20 some odd years, what am I going to do now in the next phase of my life? And that's something super challenging as an athlete to kind of redefine yourself and think about what the rest of your life looks like. And I always wanted to go into business. I always wanted to pursue the path to entrepreneurship, but it's just never easy to figure that out after you've done something for so long. You're, you know, going from running out <laughs> into a stadium of, you know, thousands of screaming fans to, you know, potentially working in a cubicle. And that's what I was doing. But I got started in the world of nutrition. I was actually in a more specialized field in the medical nutrition market. And so the company that I worked for, they were really the market leader in the bariatric nutrition space, so weight loss surgery. And what I learned during that time was pretty eye-opening in terms of nutritional deficiencies, nutritional challenges that that patient um, population struggles with both preoperatively, 
but even more so post-operatively because you've now altered the anatomy. You're not absorbing vitamins and minerals the same way that you were before. You're eating much smaller portion sizes. So there's this whole string of different things. And, and I saw how challenging it was for them to get what they actually needed and they weren't getting it from food. And at the same time, there was a, a much larger organization who's really been at the forefront of functional medicine, functional nutrition. And I was able to kind of get a firsthand look at their science-based process to developing products and had a staff of you know 12 PhDs on board and everything started with science. And so really the thing that I guess compelled me to start Life Fuel is I saw that there was a much larger need for good nutrition beyond these specialty fields that I was working in. Because when you look at just the American population, the vast majority of us, 95% plus, are not getting everything we need from food alone. And you know that's largely due to how much our food system has changed in the past few decades and how disconnected we've become to what food is and what actually makes us healthy. And so that was really the impetus for starting Life Fuel is we wanted clean and convenient fuel sources that was strictly plant-based. And then our mission is to be 100% whole foods as well, right? So not being synthetically made in a lab using petroleum chemicals and a bunch of you know, weird stuff to create products. Our goal is to start with nature and combine that using a science-based approach to create clean, convenient fuel sources for busy humans on the go. Wow, that 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 does it. <laughs> you, you fill the need, you know, for yourself, and that's a lot of how startups happen, especially with first-time founders. You're like, okay, how can I fill this need for what? I need to get done and how can that really affect other people when it comes to the switch from professional sports from that entire situation what was the biggest challenge from transitioning from that to where you are now and then on the other end of the spectrum what has been some of the more unexpected things like I've already built myself for this type of thing and this is actually like a breeze yeah, so I think the biggest challenge is going from something that's so structured that really demands pretty much every last ounce of your time. As a professional football player, you're living, sleeping, breathing football. When you get up in the morning to when you lay your head down at night and even dreaming about it, it's you know football 24-7, right? And in that professional environment, you have pretty much every minute of your day scheduled out for you. So to get to that level, yes, you have to have incredible discipline um, and work ethic and all those things, but those aren't necessarily depend on, you know, what you do next automatically integrated in your day-to-day -day life, because there's a period of time that I think most athletes go through that, through that transitory process, we don't really know what you want to do. You, you've probably thought about it. I definitely tried to prepare myself as much as possible, did a lot of extracurricular stuff, tried to do some internships, just soak up as much knowledge from mentors and business professionals. But at the end of the day, nothing really prepares you for that moment. It really takes time to, I guess, come to grips with that reality. That chapter in life is over. And you also miss, obviously, the, the camaraderie, those friendships and relationships and tight-knit bonds that you develop as an athlete with those other guys in the locker room, you know, and fans and, and all that stuff, right? You just have this whole identity around being a football player from friends and family and everybody kind of knows you as such. So like being able to now try to say, okay, I'm more than that. I'm not just a football player. I'm whatever I want to become beyond that. It, it takes time and it's, it's challenging. But I think for me to you just kind of going through that reflection and, and trying to say, okay, well, you know, what, what allowed me to achieve success in that arena? All those things that I mentioned, right? It was discipline, it's hard work, it was like educating yourself constantly, just putting in the, the time day in and day out. And so say, okay, well, how can I hone in on those things and apply them to whatever it is I'm going to pursue next? And when you do that, success naturally starts to follow. It takes time. It takes a lot of time. And you have to be patient with the process. But, you know, those things never change. And it's also, I think, being mindful of the long-term goals and understanding that 
there's no overnight success, right? It's finding something that you truly enjoy doing that you're motivated, excited about every day when you wake up and then putting in the work day in and day out. And then over time, being able to look back and say, wow, I've, I've really come a long way. We're all on this journey of, of transformation and self-growth and, and development. And if you can be 1% better every single day, that's a huge win. So yeah, that's, I guess, my approach to it. And that's, that's really what we try to empower people to do with Life Fuel, especially when it comes to nutrition and diet. That's why we have our transformation program. It's building these core principles that lead to long-term success and teaching people these simple daily habits, these simple tweaks. You don't have to go vegan tomorrow, but if you are more mindful about what you're putting in your body to start your day and it's one less animal-based meal and one more plant-based meal daily, that's already a significant win. If you can do more of that, more plant-centric, plant-focused eating and start to fill your plate with more of that, then over time, you're really going to see some pretty incredible um, results, not just physically, but I think mindfully, emotionally, just because the way your body impacts everything else in life. So, um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Long wouldn't answer, but that's, yeah, that's been my (laughs) (laughs) approach to it. (laughs) No, I, I totally get it. And it's interesting. Past couple of months, I've really developed an extra, it's not even newfound, it's an extra level of respect for anyone who is an athlete, professionally, semi-professionally, anyone who's getting up and really putting in the work every day. I'm training for my first marathon and I didn't underestimate the actual training part. What I underestimated was everything that you have to do that revolves around peak performance. Kind of what you're saying, how your whole life as a professional athlete is really scheduled out. Not only am I running my own business, but then I'm like, okay, well, I've got to go get a massage or I should probably take a bath today or go to the PT today. Like all of these different things. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a full time job. And I listened to, yeah, right. I I listened to a pod that you did uh, a while ago and you said eating in the NFL can feel like a full time job. I mean, any type of training, even if it's for weight loss, I think all of this kind of goes into peak performance and your peak self, which I just find super, super, super fascinating. Can you speak a bit to just the concept of peak performance in everyday life? Because not everyone's going to be a professional athlete, obviously, and most people are not going to run a marathon. But how do we kind of use these things to be able to fit these into everyday goals for everybody? Well, I think you hit it spot on. It's putting the things that you value first and you kind of have to be somewhat selfish in that regard. For me, it's the first thing in the day. So I don't take meetings before a specific time. That morning is for me to start my day uh, the way that I know I need to, to be able to have the best clarity, the best focus, so that when I am on a call in a meeting and trying to get deeper work done, I'm in the right mindset and the whole day is not a total loss because I've already started with some micro wins. And that, again, I think is super important because there's so much that can happen throughout the course of a day that takes you in a million different directions. And then you can just be so exhausted and so defeated. But if you've had at some point in the day, and again, whether that's in the morning or afternoon at at night before you go to bed, some little micro wins that you can take joy and solace in, then I think those day in and day out is what ultimately contributes to um, success. And so like saying no to certain things and being disciplined about that, right? Like you're training for a marathon, probably going to say, no, I'm not going to go out with my friends to have drinks because I'm running this marathon. And that's more important to me than, you know, an extra weekend out and about. So all those little trade-offs are, are super important. I'm going to read 30 minutes tonight instead of watching a Netflix show because I want to educate myself and I want to get closer to whatever goal I have. So I think it's not trying to do it all at once. It's like, okay, what, what can I do? day in day out that I I really can hold myself accountable to and and commit to and also measure that and I think that's what it ultimately takes and see athletes who are at the the highest level and, and the best in their craft like they do that better than anyone else yeah 
Yeah, I'm definitely feeling that push. It's interesting. You sounded like me in that moment where you said, hey, I don't take my calls before a certain time. I definitely, definitely stand behind that. That's something that I practice as well. Morning routines are super, super important. It sounds like you have a morning routine going. I would love to have you share a little more about just kind of what happens before your first call. Yeah, so for me, my morning routine is I'll start with a shower. If I'm going to go work out, it, d- it depends and because we've been living in so many different places over the past three years. I think it's been a hundred places. My wife's been keeping track, but really try to find that structure when I can. So if I'm working out in the morning, then it depends on like when I'll shower, I'll shower after a workout. If I'm working out late in the afternoon, then I'll start my day with a, um, a shower and I'll typically do a cold shower for a certain period of time that really helps to wake my body up. I'll ease into it. I don't go straight cold. Um, yeah, I was about start, to say, so. I'm still working on these ice baths, man. This is like, oh my God. <laughs> oh man, those are brutal. <laughs> yes. Those are brutal, but very therapeutic. So I'll, I'll do that. And then right after that, I'll do a morning meditation and that can be anywhere between 10 and 20 minutes. And then that pretty much kicks off my day. I'll start out and go through, you know, my list of priorities and and work I know needs to get done before any of those, I guess, other meetings that start to pull me in um, a million different directions. So I try to structure it that way where I know, okay, I've got this time block in the morning for myself. And then after that, you know, it's, it's like it's kind of all over the place but trying to prioritize those early morning hours and make the most during that time and there's no distractions like my phone i use it for like guided meditation but it's not in the bedroom so i don't look at it first thing when i wake up it's there as a tool to help me through the meditation and then it pretty much goes face down again while i kind of go through this morning routine oftentimes especially here in italy i'll have espresso and that'll get me a nice extra like little focus. I don't really need it so much for the energy, but I think it uh, just, it's that like warm, welcoming drink in the morning that signifies a a nice start to the day and and also helps me kind of dial in focus a bit further. That sounds a lot how I do. It's just not coffee because I've already explained that coffee doesn't really make make (laughs) friends with me. So I'm down for the matcha. The matcha really gets me zooted nice. and go, oh my God, matcha is like, nice. just, oh, so zooted, so zooted. Same thing. And I've adopted something interesting when it comes to routines about not scheduling your Mondays. I know that that sounds crazy to many people, but I have found by n- not taking Monday off, but not scheduling any calls or anything on Monday, because what ends up happening is that anything that anyone did or didn't do the week before ends up in your inbox more than likely on Monday. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's the worst. It's like, it's like a floodgates just, but I'm <laughs> the same way. I don't really schedule anything on Monday, especially because what eight hours ahead. And so yeah, just totally. like all of a sudden it's, it's Monday night for me by the time it happens. So it's like, I treat Monday like a Sunday almost like I'm getting work done, but it's just like an extra bucket of time for me to do stuff. But sure thing. It's just like, it's just so crazy totally. how overwhelming Mondays. <laughs> Circling stuff, back. Like, totally, totally pointless <laughs> to try to schedule meetings on Monday. Yeah, it's a lot of circling and back, following up, all that good stuff. And these are the things that I don't think people realize kind of hack away at your overall performance, your overall just well-being and just affecting that on a day-to-day. So when it comes to day-to-day, I would love to hear more about the 21 day challenge that is attached to life fuel and and just really all the other resources that go around with your products. The transformation program, we're evolving the program now to advance it further based off the feedback we've received. And as we've continued to up our knowledge and everything, we're going to make that product even more robust and, and easier to manage. But the whole idea behind that program um, was to really empower people to take control of their, their health and meet them wherever they're at in that journey. And it's not about, again, trying to push a specific agenda. Our whole philosophy is there's no perfect diet. We need to break free of these dietary stigmas. Like 
the perfect diet is one that's deeply personalized for you based off your specific goals, your environment, your social circumstances, economic circumstances, like all that, right? And we're so far away from really dialing that in and also understanding what's going on inside the body from a, a cellular level. Are you actually absorbing nutrients? What are your blood panels look like? What DNA markers do you have that could maybe interfere with some of these things, right? So there's a whole world of additional optimization that can happen. But I think the first key step that more of us need to take is getting back to those root principles and going back to this idea that, you know, there's no like demonize foods. We just have to understand what real food is. And, you know, that's largely eliminating or vastly reducing a lot of the ultra processed foods that so many of us have really filled our diets with that you know are so convenient, but really lack any real nutritional value. So nutrition is definitely at the center and the heart of that. It's the principles that we've applied from my end of one experimentation going through paleo and keto and veganism and you name it, right? Like that was all what I was trying to do as an athlete to try to find what was optimal for me, but also the underlying science of plant-centric diets that I enhanced my education going through uh, plant-based nutrition school at Cornell with Dr. Campbell and all that. And I want to have these differing theories about food philosophy that we could apply. And when we distilled it down to what actually moves the needles, it's getting back to real whole foods. And then in addition to that, we're inviting people and challenging people to start to integrate some of these daily habits you and I just mentioned. So whether that's 10 minutes of meditation, it might be two minutes for some people. If you've never meditated before, it can be very hard to do, right? Yeah, so sure. just starting somewhere and celebrating those small wins and just being in tune with how these little micro changes and eating largely whole food, plant-based diet can dramatically transform your life in a short amount of time. And then think about what impact that will have when you apply that out for a longer period of time. And you've got obviously the nutritional support of our products, because I think that helps make it super convenient people to have that shake first thing in the day, in the morning or mid afternoon when they're getting those hunger cravings and you know, they're, having those sugar withdrawals and all that stuff that happens on a, a biological standpoint when you're trying to get rid of a lot of this junk that we've filled our bodies with. So yeah, it's really a holistic approach to, to wellness that tries to encompass a lot of, you know, these, these core principles of what produces long-term health. Yeah, it's such a 360 thing. It really is. Would you suggest life fuel? I'm thinking like for my long runs, would that be good for that pre-workout? Like, I don't have an issue of, like, drinking a lot and then going on a run. So I'm thinking that might be really good to not hit a wall as fast. <laughs> and yeah, I think it depends. Yeah, whether it's a pre-fuel or post-fuel, I think it really depends on you, like, me, if I was to go on a long run, I probably wouldn't want to have a whole lot to eat or drink right before. Some people have no problem, but depending on whether that's pre or post, doesn't really quite matter that much. When I was training, it was like the 20, 30 minute window. As soon as you work out, you got to get your protein in. And then if yeah. you don't, then you're missing your gains and all that stuff. But when you take a hard look at the science, it's not actually that true. It's maximizing those fueling windows throughout the day. And if you're trying to build muscle, if you're trying to prevent you know, muscle loss, there's the muscle protein synthesis that needs to happen. And again, that's a pretty unique number, but it generally like for for most people, it's going to be 20 to 30 grams of, of protein, depending on obviously on the protein quality and the digestibility and all that stuff, that having that consumption of protein multiple times throughout the day will keep you in muscle protein synthesis instead of muscle protein breakdown. And the key branching amino acid for that is leucine. And so there's what's known as the leucine threshold. So 
you can tell it gets pretty <laughs> in-depth. Yes. It can get pretty in-depth scientifically. <laughs> and that's why professional athletes, they've got the full nutrition staff and everybody around them to try to you know optimize for all these different things. But for the average person that I want to look better, I want to feel better. I don't want to be as sore you know, after my workouts. I want to be able to do this at a high level a few times a week or every day. We've got a recovery shake. So whether you have that before your run or after your run, that will help to get a ton of phytonutrients in your body, that great clean protein that you need. And a lot of the trace micronutrients as well, which is so important and often get overlooked in most standard protein shakes or powders and supplements, they miss that whole part. Okay, there's protein, but what about everything else that your body actually needs biologically to metabolize all this stuff and all these underworkings that go in in the body. So a lot of athletes are deficient in magnesium and zinc. And if you're not mm. getting that, if you're not putting that back in your body, then you're going to be at higher risk for injury. And then if you get injured, you're, you would have been better off not going on the run because that injury could set you back weeks, if not months. So if you need to be really mindful about both as a, a high level athlete and just the average individual that's wanting to make changes is making sure that you're getting the enough nutrients to support that additional workload. Because if you don't, you're going to hit a wall or you get injured and now you're <laughs> worse off than when you started. So I think it's it's very important, but less about timing of all this stuff. It's a full-time job. <laughs> it really is. Can you speak a little more to the elephant in the room, which is whey protein? I, I feel like, especially with like bodybuilding in specific, or just anyone really in the athletic kind of vein gains at any cost. You know, whatever I got to do to get yeah, it, it's right? Crazy, yeah. <laughs> you know, what are a few things that obviously an alternative is life fuel, but just in general, like what do people really need to know about whey protein and why it's definitely not something that you should make the foundation of your fitness? Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of simple if you really think about it. So if you can't answer the question of where it comes from, it's probably something that you don't want to be fueling in your body with. And so whey protein is a derivative of the production of cow's milk, right? I think this is back in the early 70s or you know 80s when you saw the big bodybuilding craze and fitness craze. They, you know, had this byproduct and said, oh, we can turn this into, you know, a supplement that we could start selling to bulk people up. And, you know, how that, you know, first off, like just look at industrialized dairy, right? So that is the source. It's coming from industrialized dairy cow for the most part, right? Unless you're saying, oh, I'm getting my whey protein from New Zealand. Most of it's coming from industrialized dairy milk. So we already know that industrialized dairy milk is pro-inflammatory. So it, it's just from a, a person who is trying to put on lean muscle, reduce inflammation in the body. You don't want to put an inflammatory thing in your body. And I think why people whey protein, bodybuilding worlds, because it's quick digesting. And the knock, I guess, on plant-based proteins has always been that they're incomplete. But that's not true for every plant-based protein. And it comes down to the total amino acids that you're getting. So when you look at it at the digestibility of the protein, oftentimes your body will digest better a plant-based protein source because it's more recognizable. It's whole foods. It's made from plants as opposed to whey proteins. So you're actually getting more utility out of that protein itself. And then for me personally, like I didn't feel great. Like I always had digestion issues and just un <laughs> undesirable side effects when guzzling down whey protein shakes. And then there's a whole environmental conversation that cannot be ignored, right? Like if everything else being equal, like plant-based proteins is the more responsible choice, you know, it just is. And there's nothing about whey protein that is going to do more for you than what you would get from eating plant-based protein because it's not the protein itself. It's the training that you do and your recovery and all these other little things that also matter. And, and having a plant-based protein fuel source is just cleaner. It's more responsible. It's the future whey protein, you know, 
I, I would be very happy if it went out of business quite soon. <laughs> People just need to change. But it's, it's choice, right? People just have yeah. to wake up and, and just vote with their dollar, right? That's how change happens, right? That's why you're finally seeing a lot more options in terms of plant-based foods because people are starting to vote mindfully with their dollar and that's what matters. If we say, I'm going to keep supporting Nestle and all these big CPG companies that don't really care about health or the planet, then we're going to be in the same problem that we've been in that we are today. So I think that's the biggest message is just like really thinking and doing the research to know where that fuel source supplement is coming from. Like what are the derivatives, especially you know, once you get into like the BCAA world, there's, you know, there's BCAAs get made out of like duck hair and human, <laughs> human, uh, human hair. Yeah. Duck feathers and human hair. And there's like certain supplements get made from like lanolin and, and sheep's wool. And a lot of them are petroleum based. There's this whole hidden world that the average person doesn't know about because it's not their day-to-day -day, uh, job. We see something on a label and we, you know, say, okay, well, it looks healthy. It checks all the boxes. It's natural, right? So it must be good for me, but it can be further from the truth. I heard you say, this was so, so, so poignant. You are what you eat eats. And I think that, that yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. Can you uh, expound a little bit on that? Yeah. So I think it goes back again to, to this position of not demonizing any one particular food group. There's no evil foods, but there's healthful foods and unhealthful ones. And let's say you are going to have a steak. If that cow was, you know, roaming free on green pastures, humanely slaughtered, all that stuff, it's going to have a much different nutrient profile than a cow that's coming from an industrialized feedlot. One is super high in omega-6 inflammatory fatty acids. The other one is high in omega-3 beneficial fatty acids. And that goes beyond animal-based foods. It goes to our produce and our supplements and everything that we're putting in our body, on our body, it all matters. And if you can't identify or if the company doesn't, you know, want to tell you where these things come from, then there's plenty of other options out there that you can support that are going to be better for your body and have peace of mind and where the ingredients are coming from. So it's super important when you think about how radically our food systems have changed. And that's something that I always appreciate when we do have the opportunity to travel and, and really soak up and live in different cultures is you see that there's still so many people around the world that are dependent on fish or their local chickens or, or whatever that might be, but they're not grown in you know these huge factories. And there's a very different nutrition component to it and planetary component to it as well. So that's what I think we all need to be more mindful about is if your food, if it is animal-based food, what is being fed to it? Is it you know, being treated humanely? Is it being fed a natural diet? What's going on produce? What's being sprayed on it? Can you grow your own? Can you go to a local farmer's market? Can you do those types of things that are just like one step closer to, to where the food actually comes from? And really being able to reduce the amount of processed food. I lived in Mexico for years, and one of the biggest things that I saw with my health, which I thought, I'm like, okay, I'm good, you know, plant-based. But a large portion of my day-to-day -day meals or just day-to-day -day foods in general in the United States was made up of a lot of different kind of processed fake meat thingies or, you know, just any processed foods in general. It could be a Buddha bowl, but it came out of a package. And once I moved to Mexico, I was literally forced to have to make everything on my own. And I was also running a kitchen, so I had to do that anyway. But I just didn't have that access to these little snacks and to all of these little, you know, things that run in the background that really prevent people from reaching their goals. And I think that's a big thing that people don't realize is that it's just not about going plant-based or going vegan within that what is the quality of the plant-based and vegan foods you know that you're eating and I think that that's what you're really drilling down with life fuel yeah 100 percent, and that's why I think 
the more we can break free these dogmatic like principles about all these tags and get back to what actually makes this healthy is like a, a minimal amount of ingredients. It's all you really need, right? Anything in a package, you automatically have to be skeptical about. And same way, like I find every time we're back in the United States, our consumption of processed foods definitely increases because it's just so easy. And the frustrating thing is that it's everywhere. You can't go to the gas station and fill up your car without, you know, going to checkout counter and seeing Snickers bars and everything. You can't go to, to Staples and buy office supplies without, you, you know, can't. right it's there a at the end. <laughs> uh, there's the M&Ms and there's everything. It's and, cotton and again, candy. Like now, <laughs> and all types it's of crazy. <laughs> it's crazy, right? So you can be vegan and eat Oreos all day, but that doesn't mean right. you're going to get close to your health goals. So like, who is that really... You know, it's not helping you. It's not helping anybody at the end of the day. So it's, again, and, and you know, food manufacturers are, are geniuses. They spend, you know, millions, if not billions of dollars on this and, and know, okay, well, here's the consumer shift, right? Now, all of a sudden, people want more plant-based options. Cool. We'll, we'll put plant-based on our Big Mac and we're good to go. And didn't really structurally change the food itself. You could look at what is it Beyond Meat Burger or whatever. It's probably just as unhealthy, if not more unhealthy, than a Big Mac. So, like, what are we doing? Maybe it helps reduce the climate impact potentially, but I think a lot of other ingredients that go on to make that burger that it's just trying to fool the person and say, okay, well, you're making a responsible choice here for your health, but really, are you? Not if it's got like 50 different ingredients on it. No, you're not. Yeah. So it's tough. It's super frustrating because you just can't go anywhere and you can't avoid it. I think I heard you mention in a pod about like a test for kids reading the back of the package. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think it was yeah. like pretty simple. If, if you could pronounce the ingredient, yeah. then go for it. If you can't pronounce it, then you probably don't want to eat it. Yeah. You've got like <laughs> X, Y, Z, W, so like Hexel, Mexel, you know, a bunch of letters that Pally, don't yeah, look like they belong together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then a few numbers to top it off. It's like, okay, what is that? If it's got a, you know what it is? It's the hyphen. Bro, if you see the hyphen, yeah. the hyphen yeah, is exactly. like, oh, dude, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, hyphens are numbers sure. <laughs> that's like, your that's your main thing right hyphens numbers yeah. anything you can't pronounce and i think you know anything that starts to creep above you know five or so ingredients then you're starting to ask yourself the question of like okay what is what else is in this to help stabilize it that's usually what's kind of happening something stabilizing or enhancing it and i think that's a really big thing people don't realize i think it's about that that consistency right because the the consumer has come to demand i want that same exact flavor every single time i have that snack or whatever it is so they've dialed it they've engineered it in a way so that it's so perfect but the the reality is that nature is imperfect a, a strawberry shouldn't always taste the exact same because there's different conditions, there's different soil, there's different, you know, things change with every season. And that's been a huge learning process for us too. In early days, we've constantly evolved our formulas. Our goal, like I said, is to be 100% strictly whole foods. There's very, very few, I can't name any people that are doing that in the space and doing it at the complexity and the comprehensiveness that we're doing in our products, especially what we have coming down the pipeline in the next few months. But it's just, there's so much of that, especially when you get into big CVG, they need their products to sit on the shelves for two, three, four, five years. So that's why they've got to put all this artificial stuff and preservatives into it because otherwise it would just perish and go bad so yeah it's <laughs> it's such a crazy crazy world when you get into like food manufacturing and what actually gets passed these days and that's why like european standards technically in a lot of places around the world they're just higher and superior to what we allow in, in the u.s to go into food it's it's interesting in mexico like literally on the front of the package in bold letters I don't know exactly what it is verbatim, but this has a lot of calories. This is super sweet. <laughs> like, yo, yeah. hey, hey. Well, there's, <laughs> yeah, the, well, I think Mexico, if I'm not mistaken, I think Mexico is one of the first countries to approve. It's almost like food warnings or food information. Like the, the cigarettes. Of the, 
Yeah, exactly. So it says if it's, you know, got way, way, way too much sugar or like other stuff, there's like a red disclaimer warning or something yeah. on the front of the package. And there's so much lobbying. There's so much money to, to stop that from happening. Like there's a lot of, you know, advocate groups have tried to do that, but there's just so much money that have made that nearly impossible to get passed in, in the U.S. But it's, it's cool to see that happen in Mexico and hopefully it starts to happen other places around the world. I know in, in New Zealand, Australia, when we were there, they had like this rating system, this health system. I think it was like based off like a five-star system. And so you, you know, you felt a little bit more informed and it was on the front. You didn't have to get out the magnifying glass and read through the ingredient panel and all that stuff to figure out what was in it. They showed you on the front of the package. And I think another one was, I don't know if it's Mexico or somewhere else, but trying to take like the, their cartoon characters off cereal boxes and stuff like that. That's all used to manipulate, you know, decisions and everything else. But yeah, it's, it's yeah. a pretty crazy <laughs> crazy world. That brings me to actionable steps because we could talk a lot of high level things. We could talk about products and things that people don't have yet, but what can they really just start off doing from your perspective? And I think that your experience is super unique because you were a professional athlete. So you've seen the extreme of how things can be done. But in that, what is that first step that people can really take? I think one of the best tools that you can have that's, you know, imperative if you're trying to really take control of your health is just teaching yourself how to cook, right? Or getting lessons if you don't, mm. you know, have that skill set. That's the best thing you can do. Without that knowledge, I'm not talking about being a gourmet chef, but just simple preparations that teaches you how to get flavor and food from different herbs and spices and how to combine different stuff like that's huge, right? Because one, you're going to find hopefully some joy and satisfaction. I know it can be time consuming. Maybe there's some things that you can do on the weekend to, to prepare for your upcoming week. But I think that's such a, a huge skill set that if you don't have that, it's going to pay dividends throughout the course of your lifetime. And you, in my opinion, you can't really, unless you've got somebody that you can afford to pay to be your personal chef or something full time or even part time. Not for hire. It's just. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Superfruitschool.org is all of the information for you. Just so you know. Anyway. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. So I think that that's super important. And then just going back to what we, we spoke about, like really trying to limit the ingredients. I know it's super challenging to eliminate everything that comes in a package, but if you can't pronounce, if you can't recognize the ingredients on the backside, then just choose something else, you know, and I think those are two very simple rules that are pretty easy to, to implement to, to get started. Definitely. And then for those that are really looking to tether their food and fitness, they really want to do it holistically where, okay, I'm going to get up now and it's time to get my diet in order, but I'm also going to start working out at the same time. What are some actionable steps for them? Again, I think it's to one, be patient with the process. None of this stuff happens overnight and don't obsess over quantity. When you are putting the right fuel in your body, then your body will naturally know what to do with it. You know, and so many people, I think I've gone through this and trying to weigh and measure everything down to the last little gram and it's becomes yeah, obsessive and it it's does. just impossible. There's no longevity unless that is your profession, unless you're a professional bodybuilder, you're trying to get there, a professional athlete. Like it's just too much for most people who are trying to balance work, life, family, everything else. So I think if you focus on the quality, you can be less focused on the, the quantity. And then when it comes to like the fitness side of it, it depends on where you are in the spectrum, like how fit you are today and how fit you want to be 30 days from now. Like, what is that, that why, what is that driving motivator? Is it about, you know, appearance or is it about just being able to have more energy, more time with your kids? Like just re being really honest and thinking through like what your goals are to start, I think is imperative. And then understanding that, you don't have to work out into exhaustion every single day. Your, your body needs time to rest and recover. So when you do have time, whether that's three days a week, whether it's five days in a week, be there, be present in that mindset, you know, 
put in the work, but then also give yourself time to rest in between so that you're refreshed and ready to approach it with 100% effort the next time, whether that's tomorrow morning or two days from now or whatever. So I think the recovery part of it, you're starting to see that, you know, especially over the last decade or so, how seriously top level athletes really take their recovery. And it's less about, let me just like beat my body up into oblivion and more about finding that balance. And I think, you know, just a daily movement practice, right? If committing to 20 or 30 minutes of walking a day, Mm. if that's your first step, and that can have incredible benefits, not just physically, but mentally. And I think that's the, the big thing too, about having a consistent fitness routine is that escape of the mind to some degree, right? To, to break free of Definitely. those like everyday stressors. It's a meditation. Probably more so than the body. Exactly, exactly. The, the results, the physique changes over time, but it's really just getting into your body into that space and being free of a lot of those, you know, distractions and stressors that we all have to deal with on a daily basis. That brings me to uh, my wild card question, which is you obviously did football, but were there any (laughs) other sports or any other thing, or even now have you kind of gotten into something else? Are you like really good at tennis? I don't know, soccer or something, or was it just all football? Oh my God, this is it. Yeah, so soccer was never never my sport, but okay. as, a kid, <laughs> no, as a kid, I did everything. I was, you know, played baseball. I was a pretty good baseball player. Played basketball. Um, probably not tall enough to be a great basketball player. Football. My dad had played football collegiately, and so I think you know part mm-hmm. of me really wanted, kind of looked up to him because of that, and like ended up focusing on football in high school. I had a shoulder surgery, you know, a subluxation sophomore year in high school, and I think coming out of the injury. Really, because of the rehab process and everything, I needed to focus on one sport at that time. But beyond football, I've always been super active. I would box and do different stuff to training in college. And then today, like, I do a ton of hiking. Like, I just went for a beautiful hike today along the, the waterfront here. And it's amazing. going to get into doing some more, like, beach tennis and stuff. But I think for me, anything that's competitive, I ultimately enjoy, even if I'm not, you know, the best of it because it challenges me to do something different and, and find a new skill set. But yeah, football was like the one thing that like I could do professionally and do it really well. Whereas I think some of the other sports, I mean, probably, but I would have, you know, had to just not do football, right? <laughs> because it just like takes up so much focus and was it so Bo much Jackson? Just beats your body up so much. Yeah, yeah crazy what he's able to do but there's you know very few of those guys that can do that at a high level yeah it's it's so much and I think football out of all of them it just takes so much on the body and I think so much science is really coming back on the longevity of players in the long run for them to be able to perform that way without anything after the fact affecting them so I think that that's yeah yeah I mean and there's always something right and I think the older you get the, the more removed from the sports you start to feel that even more and more right so it's like okay how do I just continue to to live actively and, and find something that fulfills me competitively but without having to beat my body up too much further and especially like that mental side of it that never goes away you're always looking for some sort of outlet to do that so whether that's a board game or, or going and running a marathon, like it's just that competitive nature of, of athletes that I think you need to find healthy outlets for it. But yeah, definitely having you know done it for as long as I have, and I can't imagine the guys who went on and played like Tom Brady, like what he's going to feel like in 15 years. But you know, it definitely is a, a violent sport. You feel that once you've left the field. And so you kind of have to, try to find activities that are a bit less taxing on the body. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's always exciting to, to hear where people are coming from with this, but you might've touched on it already, but everyone has a woo-woo, especially with folks that are plant-based. They're already automatically kind of dialed in more to wellness, but is there something that really is able to help get your creative juices flowing or ground you spiritually. Like it doesn't matter how odd it is. This is a safe space for all woo woo activities. But yeah, what does that really, really get you up? 
for me, it's immersion into to nature and it's getting away from devices and technology because I, I deal with so much of that already on a daily basis. So to just kind of totally disconnect and be in nature without any of those distractions, I think that really helps me reset and get into kind of a more spiritual peace of mind and just helps all those stressors and worries melt away and really helps to reset the focus and, and, and balance so that you can you know start the week fresh. And I think it's a very renewing process that try to make a habit of at least one day a week, just spending several hours, whether that's in the beach or on a hike or in a park, whatever's accessible. But to me, that's, that's huge. Yeah, that is definitely the woo woo. That is the direct connection <laughs> to the source yes, of exactly. all, <laughs> to the source of all of the woo woo. Thank you so much. Oh, this is awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Good last minute audible. Glad we were able to pivot and score a touchdown. Exactly. Exactly. Learn more at superfoodschool.org.